IPC, good to be with you again. Let me encourage you to read Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through, let's say, about 21 or so. I remind you there that it begins, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then there are commandments about how we should relate to God and then how we should relate to our neighbor. Last week was you shall not commit adultery. Before that, you shall not murder. And this week, verse 15, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. So what's so good about this eighth commandment, this eighth good word from our good father? Let's find out and to explore this good word, we're going to look first at the goodness of this good word. Then we're going to look at the gravity of the good word. We'll look at the generosity of this good word. And finally, the gaiety of this good word. The goodness, the gravity, the generosity, and the gaiety of this eighth good word from our good father. Okay, so first of all, what is the goodness of the eighth good word? We need to hear about its goodness, first of all. Well, like all of the other good words, the eighth good word is, as we've been saying, an expression of the good father's good heart. So that means that the eighth good word shows that the father cares about us, not just about our obedience to him in an arbitrary way, but actually cares deeply about you and cares about your neighbor. And so because he has this deep care and concern in his heart, his good heart, he declares in this eighth good word, don't steal, don't take. Take what? Don't take what? Uh, conveniently, it turns out, um, Mr. Alliteration sometimes, there are six T's that we can say uh, as we explore what are the things that we shouldn't be taking from one another. Let's look at six T's that we shouldn't take real quickly. First of all, and most obviously, things. Thou shalt not steal. If we take belongings from someone, then we are failing to honor the dignity, both of the person who made that thing and the dignity of the one from whom we took that thing. Now, I imagine that most of us would have a harder time imagining stealing from a person who has a name and a face and a job and maybe a family or dependents. Maybe we'd have a slightly easier time stealing from like a really rich person. But I think for us, easiest of all would probably be to steal from a faceless corporation of some kind, right? Who does it hurt after all if I cut into the profits of a really big, wealthy, profitable company? Well, the answer is, uh, if we're talking retail, for example, of course it hurts that company's profitability if you take the stuff off the shelves. But if you take from your financial institution, who, who does it hurt? It hurts the shareholders. Okay, sure. It hurts the bottom line. But ultimately, companies have to pad in prices that they then pass on to their customers. It's actually you and your neighbor who are paying when you steal stuff, even from a faceless corporation. So out of neighbor love, don't take their stuff uh, because it only harms yourself and your neighbor. It's good for the good father to say, don't take things, not from corporations, not from individuals. 
What else? Not just things, but also treasure. So ideally, we don't always think of it this way, but ideally, money is supposed to represent the value of good work, right? And so the good father calls us not to plunder the treasure of our neighbor. You honor me and I honor you by honoring one another's money as a symbol of the value that we generate as humans doing good work made in God's image as we are. What else? Well, this third thing, there's things and there's treasure. There's also time. We can't take time. I mean, we can take our time and chillax, right? But we can't take someone else's time. Why? Not because time is money in the first place, but because someone else's time is not ours to take. It's theirs to give. And so, for example, when we're employed, this means that it is actually theft for us to write down, oh, I worked 42 hours, please pay me, if really I spent five of those 42 hours just scrolling through social media or working on my own private project that has nothing to do with my company. And so it's God's goodness that calls us to honor our neighbor's time. Fourth, the Father is good to forbid not just the theft of things and treasure and time, but also talent, also talent. Just as an example here, uh, on my 40th birthday, we were stuck inside for quarantine and all that, and I decided, hey, you only turn 40 once, I've written 10 poems, I'm gonna go on Facebook Live and I'm gonna read these 10 poems, and you can just ignore me if you want, but I'm reading them anyway. And I also thought, I'm gonna, if I can, I'm gonna read a couple of my favorite poems from living poets that I happen to know. And I thought, well, I should ask them if I, should, if I can do that first. Shot off a couple of messages. In a couple hours, I heard back, sure, please read one of my poems. That's fine. Thank you for asking. And these poets not only granted me permission to get up and, you know, read their poems alongside of my own, make myself look good, but both of these poets actually showed up for my poetry reading. And so I gave them honor, and they returned honor to me. And it was beautiful and good. God is good to call us to help our neighbor enjoy the fruit of their labor. It's their talent and their labor. They should enjoy the fruit, and God has called us not to rob the fruit from their talent tree. So be careful, friends, whether you're young or old, with what you do with other people's quotes, their songs, their ideas, their photographs. If there's any doubt, just ask for permission, take your own photograph, write your own sentence, give credit to whom credit is due. Don't take talent. What else? Taxes. Don't cheat on your taxes, friends. And you might think if corporations are impersonal, my goodness, the government is even worse and more impersonal. Uh, maybe you have really strong views about taxation, but let me just remind you what the Lord Jesus says. He says, I'm Lord and not Caesar. Nevertheless, render, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus says you can't steal from the public coffers. And that brings us to the final T. What else can we not take? Uh, well, this is another one that Jesus mentions in the same breath where he mentions taxes, and that is tithes, tithes. The point is to give to God, not withhold what you should give to God. Now, tithing, the question of tithing. Tithing is an Old Testament institution, 
And things change in the New Testament, but we don't always know exactly how they're supposed to change. My view is that the New Testament doesn't explicitly demand that we tithe, but it also doesn't abolish the Old Testament idea of tithing, but rather the New Testament gives us even more encouragement to be radical and free in our generosity with respect to giving. So I'm not going to stand here as your pastor and say that I've read my Bible and I know for 100% certainty that you're supposed to give 10% to IPC or else you're stealing from God and the church. I don't have that much confidence exegetically from the scriptures. But I will say this. Uh, I was taught to tithe, and I have tithed for a long time now, given to my local church. And on top of that, I've been able to support some other local missions and foreign missions and ministries and missionaries. And ever since I started doing that, I have never regretted it. And I've never gone hungry. I've always had everything that I need, and I've had the joy and pleasure of giving as well. I think 10% is great uh, for all kinds of people, rich or poor, because it calls for everyone to pull their own weight and to support the mission and ministry of God's kingdom. But the bottom line is that if we don't give generously and sacrificially and joyfully, then we are not listening to the Father's eighth good word in this way. So we've got this list of T's, right? Let's see if I can remember them. Things, treasure, time, talents, taxes, ties. Whew, okay, I remembered. Now remember, each of these six things, when the Father reminds us that we can't steal them, but we need to give, he is speaking a good word. This is good for us. When he says don't steal, he's looking out for you, and he's looking out for your neighbor. And so there's great goodness. This is the point. There's great goodness in the eighth good word. But secondly, there's not just goodness in the eighth good word. There is also gravity. What's so grave about the eighth good word? What's so serious about it? Well, the reality is that when you rip off your neighbor by taking his or her taxes or tithes or treasure or time or talent or things, well, the reality is that you are actually defrauding the image of God. Remember what Jesus says when he's asked, should we pay taxes to Caesar? He says, let me see your coin. Whose image is on this coin here? Answer, Caesar's. Exactly, Jesus says. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And the implication here is, what is God's? Well, the reality is your father has printed his image not on coins to be passed around and exchanged, but on something infinitely more valuable, on the faces and on the bodies of your neighbor. And so if you don't give Caesar what is Caesar's, well, then you're disobeying the Lord and you're a rebellious subject of Caesar's empire, okay? That's no good. But if you pretend that what is God's is not God's, but yours. Remember, your neighbor belongs to the Lord. If you take from her or from him, you are robbing God of God's own estate. And by the way, what is the most grievous theft of all? The Ten Commandments are in chapter 21 of Exodus. On the very same page, chapter, sorry, Ten Commandments in chapter 20, Exodus chapter 21, same page of my Bible, it says... 
These words, whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of this stolen man shall be put to death. That's the way they treated man-stealing and enslavement in the Old Testament times. Uh, in Bristol, England, where I'm doing graduate studies, I go there every summer, except for this summer, of course. Anyway, in the town square, there has been a statue of a fellow from the early 18th century named Edward Colston. There's a statue there until last week. Uh, 300 years ago, Edward Colston trafficked, we think, probably some 80,000 Africans. He bought them from their kidnappers, and then he sold them to planters across the Atlantic Ocean. And after many unsuccessful petitions to take down this statue, this man who generated so much of his wealth from trafficking human beings, last week, protesters actually took ropes and pulled the statue down off its pedestal. And that wasn't enough. They dragged it with these ropes to Bristol Harbor and dumped it into the water, into the very same harbor where this man paid to have human beings delivered into Bristol and then bought and sold again. Friends, we're still reckoning with the consequences of people who stole Africans and traded Africans and bought Africans and possessed Africans, people that plugged their ears 300, 400 years ago to the Father's eighth good word. So even, and maybe especially, this worst theft of all, man-stealing, every theft is ultimately an attempt to defraud our good Father and it's an insult to him because people are made in his image. When we steal, we are, think of it like this, we are trying to raid and plunder our good father, a father who is ready to give us his own kingdom. How much sense does that make? None at all. The gravity of the eighth good word is the ultimate offense and violation that we experience in any theft is actually an offense against our good father. But third, we need to not just talk about the goodness and then the gravity of this eighth good word, because in the eighth good word, there is also lots of generosity, lots of generosity. So what has our good father done? If he's looked down and he's seen us plug our ears to his eighth good word, he's even seen us in the middle of the night, try to raid his estate and take some plunder for ourselves. You would think that we were really in for it, right? Well, the astonishing thing, really the scandalous thing here is this. Instead of demanding restitution for all of our debts to him, instead of throwing us in debtor's prison until we could repay our debts, and of course, if our crimes are of infinite grievousness, and God is an infinite God, then our debts are infinite. We can never get out of debtor's prison. Instead of throwing us in there, what happened? Well, our rich father sent his rich son, Jesus, to us. Paul says it like this, though Jesus was rich, for our poor sakes, Jesus became poor so that by his poverty, we might become the rich people that we become in him. Think of the priest in Les Miserables. Uh, the father welcomes us 
into his home, just like this priest welcomes Jean Valjean. We plunder the father, we take his candlesticks and we make a run for it, but much more than just candlesticks. And then nevertheless, just like the priest shows Jean Valjean grace, our father gives us grace and more welcome and home. And so when I say grace, that our father gives us grace despite our theft, you need to understand that I'm not talking about cheap grace. Because what the father gives us is nothing less than his own son. And the son divests himself of all of his riches. He walks in our sandals. Think about it, from the minute that he's born, he has a housing problem. And ultimately, his life is stolen from him in the greatest theft in human history. The one perfect image of God, and he's stolen from his God and Father. But of course, this isn't just a passive thing for Jesus. His life isn't just taken away. In fact, he says, no one takes my life from me, but in fact, I lay it down for many. We steal, and we think we're stealing, when we take Jesus' life. Jesus lays down his life. And like it happened for Jean Valjean in Les Mis, when, we, when this really grips our hearts, that God, our Father, our good Father, has been so extravagantly, scandalously generous to us in the face of our pilfering and our man-stealing even, and allowed us to be called by the name of his dear son, allows us even to appropriate his good name to cover over our bad name. It allows us to say, I am a sinner, but I'm a Christian. When this really grips our heart and we're finally ready to hear and to begin to live the eighth good word, then what happens to us is that we're liberated and we become givers instead of takers. Now, this has all been really heavy so far, right? It kind of has. But the eighth good word, it's not just good, it's not just grave, it's not just generous, but the eighth good word also has a wonderful, let's just say, gaiety within it. It's supposed to produce joy and exuberance. How? Well, the Father speaks his word, and when we truly hear it, Ultimately, in his son, the Lord Jesus, we are filled with joy, with gaiety. We become, by God's grace, not just content and generous with the stuff that we have and with our lives, but we become cheerful human beings. See, we got ourselves, we went from cheerful and, and walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day in joy. We got ourselves into a serious situation. God provides the serious solution but the goal of all that serious is not more seriousness. The goal of all of that seriousness is that we would be content, generous, joyful people. There's a great prayer in Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30 says, Lord, don't make me please utterly poor. Not because that would be miserable, but because then I might be tempted to take from my neighbor and to dishonor my neighbor and you. But the prayer goes on, don't make me too rich, Lord, so that I don't think that I don't need you. In other words, let me experience, Lord, your generous provision so that I am delighted with the things that other people have and get to enjoy, so that I celebrate what each of us has, so that I work hard 
so that I enjoy my work, so that I earn an honest paycheck, so that I have enough left over at the end of each week or month or year to give to people who are in need. I have met people that are minimalists, that have small incomes and not very much stuff at all. I've met and know people who have lots of money and tons of cool stuff. And there are people in both of these categories, minimalists and people who've got well, maximalists, lots of stuff. And I've known both types of people who are mature in Christ and who are joyful people. They have heard the Father's eighth good word and their lives are now not just full of generosity, generosity but of gaiety. They overflow with joy and thanksgiving and it shows in their life, whether they have lots or whether they have a little. Man, I want that kind of freedom, right? Freedom from the bitterness that makes me tempted to take what's not mine. Do you want this kind of freedom and joy too? Freedom to give generously? Freedom to be content and joyful? Well, the answer from the eighth good word is that this is available to us in Jesus, who has made you rich in himself at the price of his own life, which he was glad and generous to give you. The free life that you can have in him is not free or even cheap for him, but cost him everything, but it is free for you. So receive, friends, the Father's eighth good word, because ultimately the good word from the good Father is no one else and nothing else but the Lord Jesus himself. Father, as we receive Jesus afresh, may we receive everything that he teaches us and so live our lives in a way that imitates him and that honors him and that gives us the joy and freedom that now he experiences with you and with the Holy Spirit as one God in glory now and forever. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next time.